welcome to the Preservation Technology Podcast. I'm Kevin Ammons. Today I'm visiting with Ruth Tringham, one of the founders of the UC Berkeley Multimedia Authoring Center for Teaching in Anthropology. Professor of Anthropology at the University of California at Berkeley, Ruth uses an online virtual environment called Second Life in her teaching. Welcome, Ruth. How did you find yourself at Berkeley exploring the notion of Second Life as an archaeological tool? Um, well, it, it sort of developed out of my work with digital forms of visualization, uh, things like multimedia, 3D, 3D modeling, and um, of Neolithic archaeological sites in Southeast Europe and then Anatolia more recently with Chatelhuyuk. And I was, um, I actually didn't know anything about Second Life. It must have been in the early 2000s because I'd been doing this uh, visualization multimedia stuff for all through the 90s, at least the last, last part of the 90s. But then um, I was working with this um, digital this digital technologist, I suppose, he's not really that. He's somebody who's worked with museums and digital technology called Noah Whitman. He started working with us on a project called Remixing Chatelhuyuk. And I can tell you about that a little later. But um, while we were working on that, which was uh, really a method of sharing our Chatelhuyuk media database with the public, he introduced me to Second Life. He said, have you seen this? You might be interested in this. And, with, um, and so I, of course, immediately said, oh, my God, yes, this is exactly what I've been waiting for. And it was. Because uh, uh, and it was um, early in 2007 that um, our team at UC Berkeley with the students, archaeologists and media specialists began using Second Life. Uh, to develop a virtual reconstruction of this iconic Neolithic settlement at Chatelhuyuk in present-day Turkey. And the way this project was conceived was as complementary to a concurrent, this concurrent project of remixing Chatelhuyuk, which is this online exhibition and resource. So we purchased our virtual island. We were so enthusiastic about it that we actually purchased a virtual land thanks to um, our contacts in the UC Berkeley's Information Technology Service and we were especially thankful of the support of this guy called David Greenbaum and uh, we named it Okapi Island which might seem weird because what have Okapis which is an Afri East African animal got to do with Chatelhuyuk in Turkey so, uh, but Okapi Island is actually named after our sponsor, which is the Open Knowledge and the Public Interest Program, who, um, that was our program that was creating this remixing Chatelhuyuk, the sharing of Chatelhuyuk through open knowledge software, open knowledge, the idea that um, all of our data should be shareable through a Creative Commons license, um, a share-alike a share attribution, but no... Um, well, it's ambiguous whether we would allow it for commercial. But the problem, the point is that these uh, media and the data and everything else that we do is uh, shareable without uh, the constriction of a copyright, uh, copyright uh, royalty type of, of license. 
So um, that was what Akapi Island is all about as well. Um, so the team meets face-to-face. The Okapi Island team meets face-to-face every week in our computer laboratory called the MACTIA, the Multimedia Ordering Center for Teaching in Anthropology at, at Berkeley. And in world, we meet on our virtual property in Second Life. Actually, currently, uh, one of our undergraduate student team members is leading these meetings through teaching a, a decal, what's called a decal course at Berkeley for 10 registered students. DECAL course is short for democratization of teaching or something like that at Berkeley. So I sponsor this course, but I do it, since I'm on sabbatical, I do it off, uh, on, in world, in Second Life, from my home. And um, I'm doing it along with my colleague and archaeology and new media doctoral student, Colleen Morgan, and she, uh, Noel Whitman, and our longtime colleague, Michael Ashley, and I find that Second Life has the potential as a way of embedding archaeological research, that is, its database and its interpretations, in a game-like environment. What exactly is Second Life? It's an online environment that, that has game-like immersion and social media functionality without game-like goals and rules. They say that at the heart is a sense of presence with others at the same time and in the same place. And I think that's a really good way of describing it. There's another uh, definition which uh, was provided by this, this uh, group called Move Nation. Moves, I don't know if you know that, Second Life is a move. It stands for M-U-V-E, that is. It stands for Massively Multi-User Virtual Environment. And there are others, there are other worlds like Second Life, but not as open. And um, they include things like Open Croquet, there's one called Open Sim, there's one called Twinity, and there's another called There, that is T-H-E-R-E, not T-H-E-I-R. And then um, there's another one called Caniva. I haven't actually visited any of these. I know that I have visited OpenSim, and it's, it's, although it's open source, unlike Second Life, which is propriety, um, OpenSim is, um, has much of the characteristics and even the interface of Second Life, but it's, it's actually a little more difficult to use. What is it about Second Life that you think people find compelling? Um, that's a, I love that question. That's, um, because there are some things which are quite compelling and um, it depends on who you are, whether you're going to find these things compelling. Um, I find the, uh, some of the compelling things have, I've talked a little about, the events, the meeting my, my colleagues and being able to talk to my colleagues in place in the second world, in, this, uh, in uh, second Life, I find this very compelling. I find the whole thing of creating a community of your island and of the people who come to visit, I, th- I find that really compelling. Um, when I'm visiting, when I'm visiting a place, um, I find that I, one of the things that I hate are places that are empty. And there is something creepy about Second Life that will put people off and that's that if there isn't any event going on you're, and you go to visit a place, you're likely not to find anyone there. 
except perhaps some of these uh, non-player sims, which are, I find are just as creepy as no one being there. <laughs> so I find these empty places very, very repelling, and I, I don't know the answer to that is perhaps to have constant, um, to have constant events or to at least have the idea that this island is not abandoned that um, there are signs up there's going to be an event here at such and such we don't do this we should we've got, i wanted us to have an event um, at some kind of an event each at least each month and we haven't done that we've had a couple um, each year and i think that to really make an island popular and not repelling you need to have some kind of activity there uh, for everyone that everyone knows about each month um, we tend to so to to have this idea that the place is not empty because um, that will put you know it'll put people off the creepiness of the of the empty places. Um, I think going along with that is if you visit a place and there's nothing to do there or nothing really there's not any not much guidance there. You're not sure what's going on. You just sort of twitter around with birds, or rather you, you move around and birds are twittering and, oh, it's very beautiful and the wind is rustling and people say this is poetic and though it's lovely and so on. I, I don't find that myself very attractive. Many people do, but I don't. If there are assets that can be, or things like gestures or scripts, are available for free. There are some some sites like that. I find these are great. What I find repelling is where people are trying to make money out of their out of their building, or even money out of something else. You know, uh, something that they're actually trying to sell. I find the commercial sites quite repelling about Second Life. Um, some people don't. Some people find this is as fun as eBay or something like that. I'm not an eBay person, so you can see I, I don't really go for any of this buying in Second Life. What can Second Life offer archaeology in the realm of interpretation that other traditional approaches cannot? One of the things about Second Life is that you, as a, as a, a resident, you can create... Your, you can create your own game like you can create your own game like place context you can uh, create buildings you could create um, they won't look as good as some of the game engines but they are they you do have it in your power to create these this environment this built environment um, and so that's one of the things which can really attract people, I think, like heritage professionals, possibly to use Second Life rather than to try to use um, something like um, uh, some of the game, some of the sort of more famous game engines. I mean, the famous game engines, they are just beautiful. They are just, um, they're fantastic. I would love to do that. But if you remember Mist, Mist was, is the Mist stuff is, is very beautiful, but it's, the movement through it is, for the most part, quite quite uh, clumsy. Is this something that you imagine would be possible for archaeology when you embarked on your career as a new professor? Okay, when I started um, excavating or when I started being a professional archaeologist in the 1970s, I dreamed of being able to enter my data and write on my own computer. And so I dreamed of that. And in the 1980s, I got it. In the early 1980s, I got my own computer. 
and I could enter my own data into an Excel or something like that, whatever the equivalent of Excel was later on. Anyway, in the 1980s, I dreamed I would be able to create models of Neolithic buildings in three dimensions, like architectural cardboard models, and that I would be able to model prehistoric scenes and actors. That's what I dreamed in the 1980s. And I got my dream in the 1990s. Uh, so in the 1990s, um, even in 2002, which is out of the 1990s, in that 2002, as I was at a conference in talking about game engines, when there were these gamers at this, uh, it was a conference called Seagraph Campfire, and I was invited to go there with Michael Ashley because we'd been working on these um, hypermedia um, things, uh, opuses or whatever one wants to call them, about archaeology and and um, bringing in three-dimensional images, imagery into thinking about. Um, human past places in places in the past and so we were invited to this 2002 conference and there were all these uh, gaming people and laser scanning people and oh just unbearably high-tech people who showed us what they could do and then I went to another conference in 2003 in Vienna right they were using unreal um, to to think about using that unreal for archaeology and I was dreaming, oh, my God, it would be fantastic to use a gaming engine to to try to think about all of the um, alternative paths that people could take through uh, through their, um, the life histories that we'd got for them. You know, whether we were thinking about life histories of buildings and life histories of people and places and things uh, for archaeology. And wouldn't it be great to put to to embed these ideas into a gaming, into a game engine. What was the most difficult thing for you in using Second Life for archaeological interpretation? It is difficult. It has, it, like any building, like any modeling program, it, it has its challenges and it's frustrating. And it's, um, but you don't have to be a complete computer geek to be able to do it which is what really makes it different from many of the other um, MUVEs, the moves, but it also makes it, certainly makes it different from um, using the game engines. Game engines, you have to be a real computer specialist for that. And it's, um, you know, it's, it means that it's into a, a very different sphere of, of money and interaction. Uh, I mean, um, okay, so you have to pay for your Second Life Island if you want to build on it, but you actually can always visit some of these free building places to mess around in their sandboxes. You can come to Akapi Island, build whatever you like in our sandbox, to, and it's big enough to experiment. You could build a, a, a small model of, of, say, the Presidio if you wanted. Oh, wow. So that that can so you don't have to have your own land to be able to build, which again makes it very different from many places. Uh, one of the things I'm always um, sorry about in Second Life is that I can't make life messy enough. I can't make it. I can't make the surfaces messy. But that's the same <laughs> in any. They can't even make the places messy, even with all of the fancy game engine. Ruth, thanks for joining us today. 
If you'd like to learn more about the National Center for Preservation Technology and Training, visit our website at www.ncptt.nps.gov. Until next time, goodbye, everybody.